on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. If you ask most people, they'd say reaching the NFL would be a career pinnacle, the top of the mountain. But for my guest today, the NFL was just the beginning. As a linebacker who played on three pro teams retiring in 2015, Emmanuel Acho was just getting started. Turns out Emmanuel's calling was off the field in missionary work and more recently, social justice. Just under two years ago, Emmanuel decided to create and host an online video series of conversations about racism called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. It's since been viewed more than 80 million times and went on to win an Emmy in 2021. And now Emmanuel is setting out to help others find meaning in their lives. His new book comes out in March on the 22nd, titled Illogical, Saying Yes to a Life Without Limits. It's a guide to finding your calling, even if it doesn't seem to make sense at first. So if you're feeling stuck, whether it be in a job, a relationship, or even a place, just know it's never too late to turn the beat around. Come along with me as I talk with Emmanuel about practical ways, the real stuff, to live out your dreams. I'm Hoda Kotb. Welcome to season two of my podcast, Making Space. Emmanuel, what a pleasure it is to have you on Making Space. I feel like you are our perfect guest because you are somebody who follows uh, a part of you that isn't always your intellect. It isn't always your pro-con list. You go with something that is beyond that. Since you were a kid, let's go back. Let's go back. Since you were a kid and you were making decisions on where to go, what to do, what led you? Oh, wow. Um, I've never been asked that question before. I am led by my convictions. And so when, when I say conviction, what do, we, what do you mean? I'm led by some innate inner yearning to move, to act, to go. Um, that's truly what led me. It's my convictions. And so if I ever feel convicted to move in a certain way, a certain direction, that is the manner in which I go. Sometimes it makes no practical sense at all. Um, but I just feel like you have to move by convictions. I mean, look, when you're a kid, you don't know what the risks are. There are no risks. You jump off the swing, you jump off, you'll realize later that that hurt. But you're free because you don't know the risks. It's like someone who's never had their heart broken. Mm -hmm. They fall in love harder. How did you manage to keep that even though you've been through disappointments, things that hadn't worked in your life. What was it? Um, Michael Jordan 
uh, who said, like, I missed so many thousands of shots, um, but nobody ne necessarily remembers the misses. It's Babe Ruth, who I believe said, your next strikeout only brings you closer to your next home run. I don't mm. try to focus on my failures. The only true failure is in not getting up. The only true failure is in not trying. Hodo, I was thinking about it the other day um, after I failed at something recently, and I was like, I didn't fail, I fell. And as long as I get up, oh. I win. I love that. You're the child of immigrants. By the way, um, I have to let you know that when I was in third grade, I went to school in Ibadan, Nigeria for a year. My dad was a professor there. Really? Yeah, we went to school. Yes, we <laughs> have such fond memories. It was just a year. Do you year, still eat Nigerian food? Come on. The, you got, uh, the, food, the we, food food? Come on. Hey, the come on. With see the my pole. sister. Uh, like, just like that. <laughs> just small, small. Just. You have to. <laughs> I love it. But as the child of immigrants, I, and I'm a child of, of immigrants too, I feel like there's something different that's in us. What did your parents give to you that led you to the man who you are today? Well, when you travel the world and you see other parts of the world, your mind and the aperture of your understanding is just so opened. What did my parents give me? A certain resiliency. I go to Nigeria on medical missions trips every summer prior to COVID. So my family started a nonprofit organization. And I remember taking some Americans from inner city with us to Nigeria. And we go to the village, Hoda. We don't go to, you know, Lagos, the capital city, or Abuja, mm -hmm. now the new capital city. We go to the village. It's rural. Nobody truly lives there except the small villagers. And so we go to the village. And I remember one of the Americans saying, this is like poverty on steroids. This is like American poverty on steroids. 66% of Nigerians live off less than a dollar a day. This past Christmas, I went to bury my grandmother. She lived to be 103, lived a full life. And so, hold on, I go to bury my grandmother. And true story, y'all, I wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning to people yelling and screaming outside of our compound. I look out and I see a fire a massive village fire surrounding our compound. Now, Nigeria in the village, you don't have like constant electricity. You don't have some gas service bill running your electricity. Mm -hmm. You run your own electricity with a generator. Remember, I was there for a funeral. So my entire family was there along with so many people from America for my grandmother's funeral. My father has eight brothers and sisters. So you can imagine the grandchildren, the great grandchildren, et cetera. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm telling that story Hold on, while in Nigeria, I realized this would never and could never occur in America. There's no space in America in which you could not at least call the fire department. There is no fire department in a Nigerian village. Mm -hmm. We are the fire mm -hmm. department. And so mm. I had to literally fill up buckets of water with the villagers, with men, with women, with children. We're putting it on our head. We're running from the buckets of water in the kitchen all the way out to a fire. All of that to say... Um, my parents growing up in that and me experiencing things like that on an annual basis, I just learn a different type of resilience. I learn a different mm -hmm. type of understanding of what, how blessed we are in America. I'll say this, and I read this recently in Will Smith's book, you don't truly understand the American dream until you realize the nightmare somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm paraphrasing that. Will Smith said it 
to some degree, I put it in my own words, but you don't really understand the American dream until you realize the nightmare somewhere else. And I've just lived other countries' nightmares. And so I, wow. I, I understand a difference in a dream. And you've lived the American dream too, <laughs> boy. I mean, to imagine that, you know, your parents came here to this country and you wind up being a member of the NFL, which if you walk up to anybody and say, hey, I'm playing, I'm playing in the NFL, I mean, you instantly, people are like, wow, there's not a person who wouldn't say that to you. When you were playing, uh, did you feel like this feels like my mountaintop? You know, I didn't. The NFL was truly uh -huh. amazing. It was amazing. But unless you are in the top five percentile, the NFL, it too is, is scary. Um, the reason I didn't feel like it was my mountaintop, I knew the NFL was a means to an end. Hold on, I like answering questions in story form. I vividly remember fearing I was going to be released every day I was in the NFL. The NFL, you have 53 people on a roster. Essentially, you have 53 employees. I was probably the 47th to the 53rd person on the roster as far as importance. Every Tuesday of an NFL week, is when you get paid. So if you are on the roster on Tuesday, you know you are going to receive a check that week. So that means by Monday night, you likely will be released if you are going to be released. I was cut in the NFL five times before the age of 25. Imagine being hired at a job out of college, then being transferred across the country from that job, then being fired by your employer who transferred you and then being rehired and fired and rehired and fired and rehired and fired five times all by the age of 25. So the NFL to me was, it was so taxing. It was so anxiety uh, heavy. The NFL was not a highlight of my life. Oh, wow. Why did you stay in it as long as you did? In the NFL, if you play for four years, you're vested pension and you have annuity. And so the NFL was practical. I was like, okay, play four years. You have all the benefits. As soon as I hit four years, I was like, it is time to get out of here. Uh-huh. So it was an easy decision. Not at all. Simple. Not easy. Why? Because the NFL, it cripples every one of your abilities besides playing sports. That's what nobody tells mm -hmm. you. Imagine you mm -hmm. graduate with a degree, which, by the way, is already hard if you're trying to make it to the NFL because playing college sports is a full-time job. But imagine graduating with a degree. Then whatever degree you graduate with, you have to put on ice for four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, mm -hmm. or ten years. So all of that knowledge which you have acquired is now gone to waste because you have been sitting here trying to play in the NFL. So transitioning is near impossible because it's all you've ever known. Mm -hmm. Every mm -hmm. August, think about this. For 20 consecutive years, really 17, from when I was eight years old until I was 25 years old, every August I was wearing a football helmet. Every Saturday mm -hmm. and or Sunday, I was on a football field with out failure for 17 straight years then you wake up one august day and you're not putting a helmet on it's, it's depressing it's saddening you go into dark places coming up how emmanuel acho used his voice and found his calling during an incredibly challenging time in america
Every parent is a busy parent. There's enough on your plate without piling on your kids' homework. And considering how much teaching methods have changed, most of us are a little rusty anyway. Consider IXL, an excellent resource for homework that can make a huge impact on your child's ability to learn. Backed by research, kids using IXL are actually scoring higher on their tests. Our techniques help them master topics in a fun way, complete with positive feedback. We're seeing improvements all across the country, as IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S., And IXL is also very affordable. One month of IXL costs less than the typical hour of tutoring. On just one website, IXL covers all the kids in your home from pre-K to 12th grade. Sign up today to get 20% off your membership at IXL.com slash H-O-D-A. That's IXL.com slash H-O-D-A. in the midst of all this chaos in our world, so many of y'all have reached out to me and by y'all, I mean white people, have reached out to me asking, how can I help? How can I join in? How can I stand with you? So I've created this for you um, because in order to stand with us and people that look like me, you have to be educated on issues that pertain to That was Emmanuel Acho in the very first episode of his Emmy award-winning YouTube series, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. It's a series Emmanuel felt compelled to launch in the wake of the killing of George Floyd in the summer of 2020. And he's even written an accompanying book about the series with the same name, focused on answering hard-to-ask questions about systemic racism. Your uncomfortable conversations with a Black man. I mean, this is something that you felt a burning desire to do. People told you it was not a good idea. (laughs) People close to me. But this is yes, you're, this is yes, this is what I I don't like. Imagine you are an athlete and you ask your coach what you should do, and your coach says don't do something. Imagine you are a child and you ask your parent what you should do, and your parent yeah. says don't do something. Imagine right. you are an employee and you ask your boss what you should do, and your boss says don't do something. But I had a calling, and what I realized, Hoda, is my calling wasn't a conference call. Uh, my calling was my calling, and only I got that calling. Your calling in life isn't a conference call, so you can't necessarily be mad when other people look at you crazy because you want to leave that dream job. Mm -hmm. Nobody else heard what I heard, and it wasn't audible. It was within my own soul, my own spirit, if you will. So tell me about that, because I think that's really interesting, because I think sometimes we feel like we're being spoken to. But we say, oh, God, I need insurance. (laughs) What was that? That was crazy. You know, there are ways to open up and take it. And then there are ways to go on about your Wednesday. Yes. Like, oh, well, I'm just going to ignore that. How did you know that this was not something to ignore? I knew it was not something to ignore because I didn't have the luxury of ignoring it. What lives were going to be lost because of my lack of speech? And I think we all eventually have to ask ourselves that question. And it might not be a literal loss of life like a death, but Mm -hmm. what dream won't be fulfilled because I'm too afraid to act, because I'm so bound by logic? It might be my own dream. It might be a community that I might change. It might be a family that I might impact. It might be a neighborhood. It might be a city. It might be a religious gathering. But like, who am I costing because of my lack mm-hmm. of courage. And 
after the murder of George Floyd, I was like, I can't afford to see another person die at the hands of the police because of my lack of willingness to speak. Now, let me give this to you in a phrase I coined, because so many people ask me, Hoda, Emmanuel, how do you find your calling? And after pausing and thinking, I said, your calling will call you, just pick up. Mm. So many people are searching left and right. I don't know what my calling is in life. I don't know what my purpose is in life. I don't know what I'm meant to do. Yo, your calling will call you and it probably already has. You're just not picking up. My calling literally called me. Matthew McConaughey, he called me from a no-caller ID number after my first episode of Uncomfortable Conversations got 25 million views. I picked up. Acho, McConaughey speaking. I want to have a conversation. I was like, what? Matthew McConaughey? Um, he's like, yeah, I want to have a conversation. I was like, okay, well, we'll record episode two in four days. True story. I did not want to do another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations because of how big the first one was. McConaughey says, let's record it tomorrow. The two sat down in June of 2020 for the second episode of Emmanuel's YouTube series. Let's take a listen. Someone like me. How can I do better as a human? How can I do better as a man? How can I do better as a white man? That's powerful. That's how you put me on the spot. I'm gonna be honest with you, because that's what we're here for, to have uncomfortable conversations. You have to acknowledge that there's a problem so that you can take more ownership for the problem. The first step to acknowledge- After McConaughey calls me, I get another call from a no caller ID number. Hi, Emmanuel, Oprah Winfrey speaking. Uh, Oprah? Like, Oprah, Oprah? (laughs) Um, Emmanuel, what is your intention? She asked me. Uh Um, Yeah, what'd you say? That's good. I said, Oprah, my intention is to change the world, and I truly believe I can. Um, I said, I'm currently working on writing a book. She said, books? I love books. Um, And so Oprah partners with me to write Uncomfortable Conversations. All of that to say to those listening, your calling will call you. You just have to make that a logical decision to pick up. My calling was a literal no caller ID calls, but other people's calling will just be that internal yearning and that internal desire to do something that just seems a little crazy. Yeah, it's almost like, I feel like if you can't sleep, because it keeps revisiting you. Because I always, I feel like there's like an emotional part of us. There's an intellectual part, the pro-con part. And then there's like this bigger spirit part, Mm -hmm. the spirit part that's untouched by pain, the spirit part that um, can see it, can see you like you're an airplane circling. It sees your little problems. Oh, there you are. Look at Emmanuel dealing with that little thing. And that's really like your essence. And I feel like tapping into that kind of opens up big doors. But like when you were having these uncomfortable conversations, I mean, the, the title immediately makes you lean in. What were the questions you were most asked and how did you answer them? The most asked question, the most discussed topic and the gateway to having this conversation. Well, Emmanuel, what is white privilege? Because my life has been hard. Mm-hmm. To which I said, white privilege is not saying your life hasn't been hard. White privilege is simply saying your skin color has not contributed to the difficulty of your life. As a white person, like as any person, your life has been hard, but it is not your whiteness that is aided in making your life difficult. As opposed to, as a person of color, it is typically their color that has aided in making their life difficult. White privilege is not talking about life being more easy. It's just simply saying that it's not your skin color that's making your life difficult. Um, The next question I got very frequently, well, how come black people can say the N-word, but white people can't? 
I'm like, okay, um, speech is based upon relationships. If you are sitting at a restaurant, you might hear uh, someone refer to the person they're sitting with as babe, baby, darling, sweetheart, honey. I would not go sit at that table and start calling somebody babe, baby, darling, sweetheart, honey, because a significant other might instantly meet me with harsh words, if not physical violence, because I do not have the relationship to speak to that person in that manner. Right. You might call your father pops. You might call your father daddy. Oh, I'm not calling somebody else's father pops or daddy. Oh, because we do not have that relationship in the very same manner. The N word is reserved for people who have that relationship. And more often than not, black people inherent to their blackness have that relationship. But remember, not all black people do. Oprah and I were having a conversation once with a group of people and she was like, I don't use the N word, nor do I tolerate it around me. So it's also not to say that all black people have that relationship, but more often than not, there is an inherent relationship based upon an inherent life or historical struggle that grants that usage. So I could go on and on and on, but those are probably the two most common asked or more commonly unasked questions. You know, they say that when you find your calling, you, it's like you're riding a wave. Your whole life you swim upstream and all of a sudden you find the thing that you're supposed to be doing and suddenly you feel like all of the forces of the universe are taking you in the way you're supposed to be going. You're on this ride. Do you feel like that's what's happening or are you swimming up? Man, what's interesting, when you say riding a wave, I think there's an inherent sense of ease that seems like it comes with yeah. that. Um, yeah. I'll say this and then I'll answer the question. I do believe your calling is what you're made for and your career is what you're paid for. Uncomfortable conversations is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. So I can't uh, say that I'm riding a wave because yeah. it's just so incredibly difficult. But your calling is just what you're made to do. Mm -hmm. um, living a life and encouraging people to live their best life. That was my destination. I got my master's degree in sports psychology. So talking about, hey, let's all achieve the dreams we so desperately desire. That was my destination. Hoda, I just had to take a quick detour um, for the betterment of those around me. Wow. I mean, I was reading a book and they were talking about how that in this big field, there was one wildflower growing and that everything on God's earth knows exactly what it is supposed to do without being told or thought out. That wildflower wasn't meant to be famous or popular or make lots of money. That wildflower is meant to bloom in the middle of that field, face the sun and make us all feel good. That was its purpose. And they said how people were the only thing in God's earth who don't really have, have to sort of figure it out or spend our lives trying to be more like this yeah. one. I'm gonna be like Oprah. I wanna yeah. be like Denzel. I wanna take a page from that. How is it that you were able to find, because it sounds like you have your voice. I mean, it sounds like you you listen to other people and learn from them, but you're clearly a unique voice. How did you find it? And how do you think people can find it because everyone wants to look like that one, dress like that one, be like that one. It's in realizing that you have to be yourself because everybody else is already taken. Mm -hmm. And so what makes you funny, what makes you goofy, what makes you silly, what makes you smart, what makes you stubborn, what makes you humble, what makes you meek, what makes you courageous? Um, mm -hmm. What I've realized is just, I have to be the best version of me and what you said is so wonderful about the wildflower. I think the problem we all collectively have 
as humans is we all have this innate desire to want to be like somebody else instead of simply being the best version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that is when I talk about like, it's just conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says we should all do X, we should all do Y, we should all do Z, we should all go to high school, then we should all go to college, then we should all get a job, mm -hmm. then we should all get married, then we should all have kids, and we should all live in a house behind a white picket fence. And the problem is conventional wisdom is limiting all of us, in my greatest opinion. Mm -hmm. Conventional wisdom is limiting us from the life that we all deserve to be living. And I just finally said, wait a second, why am I going to live inside of someone else's box? Why am I going to let insignificant people have such significance in my life. Up next, Emmanuel Acho opens up about his relationship with faith right after this. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean... Every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. And the Emmy goes to Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. By the way, congrats again on that Emmy Award for Uncomfortable Conversations. That was pretty cool. Saw you get up there. Uh, you were just, it was a beautiful speech you gave. Wow. Um, first and foremost, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And clearly faith is front and center yeah. with you. You mentioned it right there. It comes out in almost every single answer that you are giving me. Sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's subtle, but it's always there. Um, how has your faith played in, uh, in this journey of yours? Uh, thanks for asking that. My faith has driven me in this journey. And what I believe is we all have faith. Um, the, the question is, when you sit down in a chair, you have faith that that chair is going to hold you up. So we are all, to some degree, people of faith. When you go to a restaurant and you eat a meal, you have faith that that meal was properly cooked. We all have faith. Um, I, my faith drives me because, one, I understand what I've put on this earth to do, and it's just to touch lives, it's to, to share the good news, it's to, to talk about Jesus when I can. Um, but more than that, or not more than that, but in alongside with that, Faith can be illogical. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's what people don't understand. Like, whether it is, think about this for a second. Noah was commissioned by God to build a boat and put every animal on it because there was going to be a flood. Hoda, can you imagine how many people saw Noah building every day saying, bro, what the heck are you doing? Like, you are right, a right. fool until, until, and this is maybe my favorite chapter in my book, 
illogical until Hoda imagine Noah now gets on this boat with every animal and with his immediate family he opens up the wooden window that he's built he looks out of the window and he puts his head up into the sky and then he get he feels it between his brow smack dab it's the first drop of rain mm-hmm. and the first drop of rain tells him that the flood is coming and i have a chapter actually titled the first drop of rain because when you've been illogical when i've been illogical that first drop of rain is going to hit. And when that first drop of rain hits you, that is when you know the flood is coming. So what was my first drop of rain? That call from Matthew McConaughey. The Mm. call from Matthew McConaughey, I hadn't yet written a book. I hadn't yet heard from Oprah. I hadn't yet been a bestseller. I hadn't yet won an Emmy. I hadn't yet done anything besides a video. But when McConaughey called, that was my first drop of rain. And that was the signal that the flood is coming. So when you make that illogical decision, whether it's building a boat, whether it's uh, sitting in front of a camera, whether it's starting a business, as soon as you get that first drop of rain, you know the flood is coming. And my faith literally moves me in life because it, it is testaments mm. like that. Wow, that is absolutely beautiful. And I know you your book, Illogical, you say that's your calling. Like, that's what you're meant to do. You're meant to help. You're meant to heal. You're meant to encourage and cheerlead. I mean, that's so in your DNA. But there are a bunch of people, many people, and we've all been there ourselves too, if we're not there right now, it's you're lost. Your things don't look good for me right now. I've tried everything. I've tried praying. My job is dead end. My relationship isn't working. Like things aren't working for me, you know, and they're trying to figure out how to get up, how to pull up. Um, I know you've you've got your faith and you've also got your sports psychology degree. You've got a lot going for you. But how do you speak to someone like that? Well, the first thing I would do is just encourage them that it's okay to not be okay. Like, Mm -hmm. it's okay to be down for a little bit. The reason a mountain has peaks is because it has valleys. If there were no valleys, then everything would just seem like flat and level ground. So the valley Mm -hmm. is actually what dictates the peak. I would also say that your time is coming but you too have to make your time come. They say luck is when preparation meets opportunity. You can't win the lotto unless you buy a ticket. Mm -hmm. So you can sit there and hope and pray all you want to win the lotto, but you can't win the lottery unless you buy a ticket. So are you buying Mm -hmm. tickets? I could hope and pray all I want and wish to change the world, but it was sitting down in front of the camera that led to uncomfortable conversations. It took action. It took me Mm. sharpening my sword. I love that. Now, everyone who I've ever interviewed um, loves the high moments in life, but that's not obviously where they learn anything. They learn things on their their deepest valleys. What was your deepest valley? Um, My deepest valley. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, Remember, I was in Philadelphia. I was drafted to the Cleveland Browns in 2012. In 2013, the Philadelphia Eagles, they traded for me. I was now in Philadelphia, but remember I told y'all I was cut five times by that organization. One of the final times I got cut, and what people don't realize about the National Football League, when you get cut, they instantly remove your access from the building. You can no longer go into the building for anything from a Gatorade shake to a workout to anything. I lived in Philadelphia. I lived very close to the Rocky Steps, but I still wanted to continue playing. So true story, after I got cut, I believe it was the second to last time, I would have to go to an abandoned field to work out. I showed up one day and the field is covered in nothing but pigeons. I didn't have bags. In in football, you need bags about 
five feet long and one foot high to just do different drills over. You might need to hop over the bag. You might need to sprint in front of a bag, then backpedal behind another one. Just do different drills. I didn't have bags, so I had to steal street cones, construction orange street cones. So now imagine, I used to be this NFL player on Monday, but on Tuesday, I'm in an abandoned field, shooing pigeons off of the field, stealing construction cones, laying these construction cones on this field that has, was once overrun by pigeons, and I'm working out by myself, knowing that 20 minutes across town, all of my teammates and my best friends are there. Um, mm-hmm. Those were the lowest moments of my life, waking up, walking 10 minutes to this abandoned field and and working out with pigeons and stealing street cones, realizing <laughs> that like, man, I, everybody thinks I'm this great NFL player, but I'm actually this depressed, abandoned, released uh, NFL player. And you kept doing that? Did you keep that up? Man, I kept it up until I got another call and the Eagles called me back that and they signed you. me again. Wow, that's everything. But then I broke my thumb. Uh, And after Mm -hmm. I broke my thumb, I'm having surgery. So immediately after my surgery operation, I wake up and I look at the doctor and all I ask him is pins or screws. Because if he says pins, the Eagles were going to release me for the final time. If he says screws, then I am still going to be employed. I wake up still partially sedated and I just say pins or screws. And he says pins. Um, I start weeping. I go to the Eagles facility the general manager meets me at the front door and he says, hey, Emmanuel, coach wants to see you. Bring your playbook. That means you're getting released. With my left hand, I now have to pack up my locker for the final time. I have a huge trash bag with tears down my eyes and my hand casted. And for the final time, I left the Philadelphia Eagles facility. I feel like God was busy trying to tell you all along that it was time to say goodbye to to football, but you just wouldn't let, you weren't listening. Remember you said you got to listen. You were like this, not yet. I need to get down to the end. I need my five times. It was terrible. Like truly, truly terrible. But that does, Emmanuel, bring you to that thing, which again, I keep going back to, which is how do you know if God's trying to tell you to work harder which is what you were doing all those five times with the, or how do you know if he's trying to tell you pivot? Yeah. Time to pivot now. The, imagine the visual imagery of knocking on what you think is a door just to realize it's a wall, man. Stop <laughs> knocking and move on. How do you know when it's time? Yeah. Um, I think when you have exhausted your emotional, your financial, uh, and your spiritual bandwidth, and it's like, you know what? Unless this works, and if this is not blessed, I am going to move on. And mm-hmm. for me, I knew I exhausted my emotional bandwidth with with the with the NFL. Are you gonna go? Are you gonna end up being a preacher? Uh, that's hilarious. Um, God and I have had several conversations, of which I said I don't want to get behind a pulpit. Um, granted, okay, I, I, I'm not necessarily the one who makes those final decisions. But in my mind, church is simply a gathering of people. We have thought of church as these mega buildings, which we've invested millions of dollars in. All church is is a gathering of people. So you and your friends can gather at a restaurant and that is church. Mm -hmm. You and your friends can Mm -hmm. gather in your living room and y'all can have church. So you don't need to get behind a pulpit to preach. And too many people are trying to preach sermons instead of live out sermons. And I've tried to make my life a testimony. Okay, I'm crying. Just FYI. (laughs) So you just did it. You just did it. That was it. Preach 
Preach, Emmanuel, <laughs> preach. Um, you know, just back to your book for a minute, Illogical. Um, what do you hope that people, I know there's a lot of great life lessons in there and I don't even know where to begin <laughs> with them, quite frankly, because every time I turned a page, I was like, highlighter, <laughs> highlighter. But it's got really good original ideas. But give me a couple that you think that people would like to take away. Um, I think some of the greatest takeaways are um, don't forget your earmuffs. Along your illogical journey, so many people are going to tell you what you can't do instead of what you can do. Mm -hmm. And you are going to need to block out that noise. So do not ever forget your earmuffs. Um, there's going to be an I might be crazy moment. When I was oh, with yeah, the yeah. Philadelphia Eagles, I saw on the depth chart. And the depth chart essentially tells you the pecking order of how they value you. My name fell under the words in all bold, cut. Meaning, hey, this person is going to get cut. The coaches were not supposed to let me see that. I accidentally and incidentally saw it in a coach's office. I leave the coach's office. I run to a restroom. I get on the bathroom floor and I immediately start praying in a bathroom stall of the Philadelphia Eagles facility. At that moment in time, Hoda, I thought to myself, I might be crazy. But the operative word there is might, because I wasn't crazy. I was just purely and passionately illogical. So on your destiny yeah. towards being the best version of yourself and living the life of your dreams, you're going to have a might be crazy moment. We already discussed that first drop of rain moment. When you mm -hmm. are being illogical, there's going to come a point in time when you have and you experience that first drop of rain, which tells you your, 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 your success is coming. True story. In sixth grade, I was at my friend's house and we were eating burgers. His older brother walked in and he threw something at the table. My dear friend ran from the table and started hiding behind a chair. I was like, what in God's name is going on? I looked at what his older brother threw at the table and it was simply a ketchup packet. I cracked it open after checking out my friend and I started eating my fries with some ketchup. At that point in time, I learned a valuable lesson that day, Hoda. Don't be afraid of other people's fears. Ooh! Don't be afraid of other That's people's good. fears. And so many of us in life are afraid of other people's fears. Well, well, I'm not going to start a business because my friend was afraid to. I'm not yeah. going to get in a relationship because my homegirl got cheated on. I'm not going to get married because my, 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 my dad and my mom have never had, I've never seen a successful relationship. I can't leave this city. Nobody in my family has ever left Austin, Texas. Why would I leave? I refuse to fly on an airplane because so-and-so is afraid of flying on an air. We're so afraid of other people's fears, not even our own. It's the craziest thing. We're not even afraid of our own fears. <laughs> like That is brilliant. Okay, I just want to ask you this final question. Um, when were your parents the proudest of you? Aw, that's so sweet. Um, that's, that's a very sweet question. And I'm, I'm not going to think too deeply because I don't want to cry, but that's a very sweet question. My parents were probably most proud of me um, when they saw the impact uncomfortable conversations had. My parents weren't most proud of the NFL. My parents weren't most proud of graduating college. My parents weren't most proud of the money I've made. My parents were proud of seeing the impact their son has made. Wow. Well, you did good and they did good <laughs> too, because that's why you're sitting here right here. The book is called Illogical. It's by Emmanuel Acho. He's got great conversations. You can find him everywhere. You're making your mark. 
Look at you. You're blazing your trail. Get out of your way. <laughs> thank you, my friend. Emmanuel, thank you. It was, a, it was wonderful talking to you. I enjoyed every second. Likewise. All right. Take care, honey. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening and going on this journey with me. If you like what you've heard, and I sure hope you do, please give Making Space a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to tell your friends and follow on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Making Space with Hoda Kotb is produced by Allison Berger and Ursula Summer, along with associate producer Rachel Young and audio engineer Bob Mallory. Original music by John Estes. Bryson Barnes is our technical director. Minna Kathuria is our executive producer. Soraya Gage is our general manager. And Madeline Herringer is our head of editorial. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I had a charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.